0: Section 2 of A Description of Millennium Hall and the Country Adjacent by A Gentleman on His Travels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. A Description of Millennium Hall and the Country Adjacent by Sarah Scott. A Description of Millennium Hall, Part 2 I rose the next morning very early, desirous to make the day, which I purposed for the last of my abode in this mansion, as long as I could. I went directly into the garden, which, by what I saw from the house, was extremely pretty. As I passed by the windows of the saloon, I perceived the ladies and their little pupils were earlier risers than myself for they were all at their various employments. I first went into the gayest flower garden I ever beheld. The rainbow exhibits not half the variety of tints, and they are so artfully mingled, and ranged to make such a harmony of colours, as taught me how much the most beautiful objects may be improved by a judicious disposition of them. Beyond these beds of flowers rises a shrubbery, where everything sweet and pleasing is collected as these ladies have no taste but what is directed by good sense nothing found a place here from being only uncommon for they think few things are very rare but because they are little desirable and indeed it is plain they are free from that littleness of mind which makes people value a thing the more for its being possessed by no one but themselves behind the shrubbery is a little wood which affords a gloom rendered more agreeable by its contrast with the dazzling beauty of that part of the garden that leads to it in the high pale which encloses this wood i observed a little door curiosity induced me to pass through it i found it opened on a row of the neatest cottages i ever saw which the wood had concealed from my view they were new and uniform and therefore i imagined all dedicated to the same purpose Seeing a very old woman spinning at one of the doors, I accosted her by admiring the neatness of her habitation. Aye, indeed, said she, it is a most comfortable place, God bless the good ladies. I and my neighbours are as happy as princesses. We have everything we want and wish, and who can say more? Very few so much, answered I, but pray what share have the ladies in procuring the happiness you seem so sensible of? why sir continued the old woman it is all owing to them i was almost starved when they put me into this house and no shame of mine for so were my neighbours too perhaps we were not so painstaking as we might have been but that was not our fault you know as we had not things to work with nor anybody to set us to work poor folks cannot know everything as these good ladies do we were half dead for want of victuals and then people have not courage to set about anything. Nay, all the parish were so when they came into it, young and old. There was not much to choose. Few of us had rags to cover us, or a morsel of bread to eat, except the two squires. They indeed grew rich, because they had our work, and paid us not enough to keep life and soul together. They live about a mile off, so perhaps they did not know how poor we were. I must say that for them." the ladies tell me i ought not to speak against them for every one has force only we see other peoples and are blind to our own and certainly it is true enough for they are very wise ladies as well as good and must know such things as my new acquaintance seemed as loquacious as her age promised i hoped for full satisfaction and asked her how she and her neighbours employed themselves not all alike replied the good woman i will tell you all about it there are twelve of us that live here we have every one a house of two rooms as you may see beside other conveniences and each a little garden but though we are separate we agree as well perhaps better than if we live together and all help one another now there is neighbour susan and neighbour rachel susan is lame so she spins clothes for rachel and rachel cleans susan's house and does such things for her as she cannot do for herself the ladies settled all these matters at first and told us that as they to please god assisted us we must in order to please him serve others and that to make us happy they would put us in a way poor as we are to do good to many thus neighbour jane who poor woman is almost stone deaf they thought would have a melancholy life if she was to be always spinning and knitting seeing other people around her talking and not be able to hear a word they said so the ladies busy her in making broths and caudals and such things for all the sick poor in this and the next parish and two of us are fixed upon to carry what they have made to those that want them to visit them often and spend more or less time with them every day according as they have or have not relations to take care of them for though the ladies always hire nurses for those who are very ill yet they will not trust quite to them, but make us overlook them, so that in a sickly time we shall be all day going from one to another. But, said I, there are, I perceive, many children amongst you. How happens that? Your ages show they are not your own. Oh, as for that, replied my intelligencer, I will tell you how that is. You must know these good ladies, heaven preserve them, take every child after the fifth of every poor person as soon as it can walk till when they pay the mother for nursing it these children they send to us to keep out of harm and as soon as they can hold a knitting needle to teach them to knit and to spin as much as they can be taught before they are four or five years old when they are removed into one of the schools they are pretty company for us and make us mothers again as it were in our old age "'Then the children's relations are all so fond of us for our care of them "'that it makes us a power of friends, which, you know, is very pleasant, "'though we want nothing from them but their good wills.' "'Here I interrupted her by observing that it must take up a great deal of time "'and stop their work, consequently lessening their profits. "'There's nothing in that,' continued the good woman. "'The lady's steward sends us in all we want in the way of meat, drink and firing.' and our spinning we carry to the ladies they employ a poor old weaver who before they came broke for want of work to weave it for us and when there is not enough they put more to it so we are sure to have our clothing if we are not idle that is all they desire except that we should be cleanly too there never passes a day that one or other of the ladies does not come and look all over our houses which they tell us and certainly with truth for it is a great deal of trouble to them is all for our good, for that we cannot be healthy if we are not clean and neat. Then, every Saints' Day, and every Sunday after church, we all go down to the hall, and the ladies read prayers, and a sermon to us, and their own family. Nor do they ever come here without giving us some good advice. We used to quarrel, to be sure, sometimes when we first came to these houses. But the ladies condescended to make it up amongst us, and showed us so kindly how much it was our duty to agree together and to forgive everybody their faults or else we could not hope to be forgiven by god against whom we so often sinned that now we love one another like sisters or indeed better for i often see such quarrel beside they have taught us that we are generally in fault ourselves and we find now that we take care not to be perverse our neighbours are seldom in the wrong and when they are we bear with it in hopes they will bear with us when we are as much to blame which we may be sure enough will happen let us try ever so much to the contrary then the ladies seem so pleased when we do any kindness to one another as to be sure is a great encouragement and if any of us are sick they are so careful and so good that it would be a shame if we did not do all we can for one another who have always been neighbours and acquaintance when such great ladies never knew us as i may say but to make us happy and have no reason to take care of us but that we are poor are so kind and condescending to us i was so pleased with the good effect which the charity of her benefactors had on the mind as well as the situation of this old woman whose neighbours by her own account were equally benefited by the blessings they had received that i should have stayed longer with her if a bell had not rung at Millennium Hall, which she informed me was a summons to breakfast. I obeyed its call, and after thanking her for her conversation, returned with a heart warmed and enlarged to the amiable society. My mind was so filled with exalted reflections on their virtues that I was less attentive to the charms of inanimate nature than when I first passed through the gardens. After breakfast, the ladies proposed a walk, and as they had seen the course I took when I first went out, they led us a contrary way, lest, they said, I should be tired with the repetition of the same scene. I told them with great truth that what I had beheld could never weary, for virtue is a subject we must ever contemplate with fresh delight, and as such examples could not fail of improving every witness of them, the pleasure of reflection would increase, As one daily grew more capable of enjoying it, by cultivating kindred sensations. By some more explicit hints they found out to what I alluded, and thereby knew where I had been. But turning the conversation to present objects, they conducted us to a very fine wood, which is laid out with so much taste, that Lamont observed the artist's hand was never more distinguishable, and perceived in various spots, the direction of the person at present most famous for that sort of improvement the ladies smiled and one of them answered that he did their wood great honour in thinking art had lent her assistance to nature but that there was little in that place for which they were not solely obliged to the latter miss trentham interrupted her who was speaking and told us that as she had no share in the improvements which had been made she might with the better grace assure mr lamont that lady mary jones miss mansell and mrs morgan were the only persons who had laid out that wood and the commonest labourers in the country had executed their orders lamont was much surprised at this piece of information and though he would have thought it still more exquisitely beautiful had it been the design of the person he imagined yet truth is so powerful that he could not suppress his admiration and surprise Every cut in it is terminated by some noble object. In several places are seats formed with such rustic simplicity as have more real grandeur in them than can be found in the most expensive buildings. On an eminence, bosomed high in tufted trees, is a temple dedicated to solitude. The structure is an exquisite piece of architecture, The prospect from it noble and extensive, and the windows so placed that one sees no house but at so considerable a distance as not to take off from the solitary air which is perfectly agreeable to a temple declaredly dedicated to solitude the most beautiful object in the view is a very large river in reality an arm of the sea little more than a quarter of a mile distant from the building about three miles beyond it lies the sea on which the sun then shone and made it dazzlingly bright. In the temple is a picture of contemplation, another of silence, two of various birds and animals, and a couple of moonlight pieces, the workmanship of the ladies. Close by the temple runs a gentle murmuring rivulet, which flows in meanders through the rest of the wood, sometimes concealed from view, and then appearing at the next turning of the walk the wood is well peopled with pheasants wild turkeys squirrels and hares who live so unmolested that they seem to have forgot all fear and rather to welcome than flee from those who come amongst them man never appears there as a merciless destroyer but the preserver instead of the tyrant of the inferior part of the creation while they continue in that wood None but natural evil can approach them, and from that they are defended as much as possible. We there walked joint tenant of the shade with the animal race, and a perfect equality in nature's bounty seems enjoyed by the whole creation. One could scarcely forbear thinking those happy times were come, when the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a young child shall lead them. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice, and blossom as the rose. At the verge of this wood, which extends to the river I have mentioned, without perceiving we were entering a building, so well is the outside of it concealed by trees, we found ourselves in a most beautiful grotto made of fossils, spars, coral and such shells as are at once both fine and rustic, All of the glaring, tawdry kind are excluded, and by the gloom and simplicity preserved, one would imagine it the habitation of some devout anchoret. Ivy and moss in some places cover, while they seem to unite, the several materials of the variegated walls. The rivulet which runs through the wood falls down one side of the grotto with great rapidity, broken into various streams by the spar and coral, and passing through, forms a fine cascade just at the foot of the grotto, whence it flows into the river. Great care is taken to prevent the place from growing damp, so that we sat some time in it with safety, admiring the smooth surface of the river, to which it lies very open. As the ladies had some daily business on their hands, which they never neglect, we were obliged to leave this lovely scene where i think i could have passed my life with pleasure and to return towards the house though by a different way from that we came traversing the other side of the wood in one spot where we went near the verge i observed a pale which upon examination i found was continued for some acres though it was remarkable only in one place it is painted green and on the inside a hedge of yews, laurel, and other thick evergreens, rises to about seven or eight feet high. I could not forbear asking what was thus so carefully enclosed. The ladies smiled on each other, but evaded answering my question, which only increased my curiosity. Lamont, no less curious, and more importunate, observed that the enclosure bore some resemblance to one of lord Lamour's, where he kept lions tigers leopards and such foreign animals and he would be hanged if the ladies had not made some such collection entreating that he might be admitted to see them for nothing gave him greater entertainment than to behold those beautiful wild beasts brought out of their native woods where they reigned as kings and here tamed and subjected by the superior art of man It was a triumph of human reason, which could not fail to afford great pleasure. "'Not to us, I assure you, sir,' replied Miss Mansell. "'When reason appears only in the exertion of cruelty and tyrannical oppression, "'it is surely not a gift to be boasted of. "'When a man forces the furious steed to endure the bit, "'or breaks oxen to the yoke, "'the great benefits he receives from and communicates to the animals,' excuse the forcible methods by which it is accomplished. But to see a man, from a vain desire to have in his possession the native of another climate and another country, reduce a fine and noble creature to misery, and confine him within narrow enclosures whose happiness consisted in unbounded liberty, shocks my nature. There is, I confess, something so amiable in gentleness that I could be pleased with seeing a tiger caress its keeper, if the cruel means by which the fiercest of beasts is taught all the civility of a fawning spaniel, did not recur every instant to my mind, and it is not much less abhorrent to my nature to see a venerable lion jumping over a stick than it would be to behold a hoary philosopher forced by some cruel tyrant to spend his days in whipping a top or playing with a rattle, Everything to me loses its charm when it is put out of the station wherein nature, or to speak more properly, the all-wise creator has placed it. I imagine man has a right to use the animal race for his own preservation, perhaps for his convenience, but certainly not to treat them with wanton cruelty, and as it is not in his power to give them anything so valuable as their liberty, it is, in my opinion, criminal to enslave them in order to procure ourselves a vain amusement if we have so little feeling as to find any while others suffer i believe madam replied lamont it is most advisable for me not to attempt to defend what i have said should i have reason on my side while you have humanity on yours i should make but a bad figure in the argument what advantage could i expect from applying to the understanding "'while your amiable disposition "'would captivate even reason itself. "'But still I am puzzled. "'What we behold is certainly an enclosure. "'How can that be without a confinement "'to those that are within it?' "'After having spoken so much against tyranny,' "'said Miss Mansell, smiling, "'I do not know whether I should be excusable "'if I left you to be tyrannised by curiosity, "'which I believe can inflict very severe pains, "'at least,' if I may be allowed to judge by the means people often take to satisfy it. I will therefore gratify you with a knowledge of what is within this enclosure, which makes so an extraordinary an impression upon you. It is, then, an asylum for those poor creatures who are rendered miserable from some natural deficiency or redundancy. Here they find refuge from the tyranny of those wretches who seem to think that being two or three feet taller, gives them a right to make them a property, and expose their unhappy forms to the contemptuous curiosity of the unthinking multitude. Procrustes has been branded through all ages with the name of tyrant, and principally, as it appears, from fitting the body of every stranger to a bed which he kept as the necessary standard, cutting off the legs of those whose height exceeded the length of it, and stretching on the rack such as fell short of that measure, till they attain the requisite proportion. But is not almost every man a procrustes? We have not the power of showing our cruelty exactly in the same method, but actuated by the like spirit, we abridge of their liberty and torment by scorn all who either fall short or exceed the usual standard, if they happen to have the additional misfortune of poverty. Perhaps we are in no part more susceptible than in our vanity, How much then must those poor wretches suffer, whose deformity would lead them to wish to be excluded from human view, in being exposed to the public, whose observations are no better than expressions of scorn, and who are surprised to find that anything less than themselves can speak or appear like intelligent beings? But this is only part of what they have to endure. As if their deficiency in height deprived them of the natural right to air and sunshine, they are kept confined in small rooms and because they fill less space than common are stuffed into chairs so little that they are squeezed as close as a pair of gloves in a walnut shell this miserable treatment of persons to whom compassion should secure more than common indulgence determined us to purchase these worst sort of slaves and in this place we have five who owed their wretchedness to being only three foot high one grey-headed, toothless old man of sixteen years of age, a woman of about seven foot in height, and a man who would be still taller if the extreme weakness of his body and the wretched life he had for some time led in the hands of one of these monster-mongers did not make him bend almost double and oblige him to walk on crutches, with which infirmities he is well pleased as they reduce him nearer the common standard. "'We were very desirous of seeing this enfranchised company, "'but Mrs. Morgan told us it was what they seldom granted "'for fear of inflicting some of the pains "'from which they had endeavoured to rescue those poor creatures. "'But she would step in and ask if they had no objection to our admission, "'and if that appeared really the case, she would gratify us. "'This tenderness to persons who were under such high obligations charmed me. "'She soon returned with the permission we wished,' "'but entreated us to pay all our attention to the house and garden, "'and to take no more than a civil notice of its inhabitants. "'We promised obedience and followed her. "'Her advice was almost unnecessary, "'for the place could not have failed of attracting our particular observation. "'It was a quadrangle of about six acres, "'and the inward part was divided by nets into eight parts, four of which were alternatively filled with poultry of all sorts,' which were fed here for the use of the hall and kept with the most exact cleanliness the other four parts were filled with shrubs and flowers which were cultivated with great delight by these once unfortunate but now happy beings a little stream ran across the quadrangle which served for drink to the poultry and facilitated the watering of the flowers i have already said that at the inward edge of the pale was a row of evergreens at their feet were beds of flowers and a little gravel walk went round the whole at each corner was an arbor made with woodbines and jessamine in one or two of which there was always an agreeable shade at one side of the quadrangle was a very neat habitation into which a dwarf invited us to enter to rest ourselves after our walk they were all passing backwards and forwards and thus gave us a full view of them which would have been a shocking sight but for the reflections we could not avoid making on their happy condition and the very extraordinary humanity of the ladies to whom they owed it so that instead of feeling the pain one might naturally receive from seeing the human form so disgraced we were filled with admiration of the human mind when so nobly exalted by virtue as it is in the patronesses of these poor creatures who wore an air of cheerfulness which showed they thought the churlishness wherewith they had been treated by nature sufficiently compensated. The tender inquiries the ladies made after their healths, and the kind notice they took of each of them, could not be exceeded by anything but the affection, I might almost say adoration, with which these people beheld their benefactresses. This scene had made too deep an impression on our minds not to be the subject of our discourse all the way home, and in the course of conversation I learnt that when these people were first rescued out of their misery, their healths were much impaired, and their tempers more so. To restore the first, all medicinal care was taken, and air and exercise assisted greatly in their recovery. But to cure the malady of the mind, and conquer that internal source of unhappiness, was a work of longer time. Even these poor wretches had their vanity, and would contend for superior merit, of which the argument was the money their keepers had gained in exhibiting them. To put an end to this contention, the ladies made them understand that what they thought a subject for boasting was only a proof of their being so much farther from the usual standard of the human form, and therefore a more extraordinary spectacle. But it was long before one of them could be persuaded to lay aside her pretensions to superiority, which she claimed on account of an extraordinary honour she had received from a great princess, who had made her a present of a sedan chair. At length, however, much reasoning and persuasion, a conviction of principles, of which they had before no knowledge, the happiness of their situation, and the improvement of their healths, concurred to sweeten their tempers, and they now live in great harmony. They are entirely mistresses of their house, have two maids to wait on them, over whom they have sole command, and a person to do such little things in their garden as they cannot themselves perform. But the cultivation of it is one of their great pleasures, and by their extraordinary care they have the satisfaction of presenting the finest flowers of the spring to their benefactresses before they are blown in any other place. When they first came... The ladies told us that the horror they had conceived of being exhibited as public spectacles had fixed in them such a fear of being seen by any stranger that the sound of a voice with which they were not acquainted at the outside of the paling or the trampling of feet would set them all a-running behind the bushes to hide themselves like so many timorous partridges in a mew hurrying behind sheaves of corn for shelter. They even found a convenience in their size which, though it rendered them unwilling to be seen, enabled them so easily to find places for concealment. By degrees the ladies brought them to consent to see their head-servants, and some of the best people in the parish. Desiring that to render it more agreeable to their visitors, they would entertain them with fruit and wine, advising them to assist their neighbours in plain work, thus to endear themselves to them, and to procure more frequent visits, which as they chose to confine themselves within so narrow a compass and enjoyed but precarious health their benefactresses thought a necessary amusement these recommendations and the incidents wherewith their former lives had furnished them to amuse their company and which they now could relate with pleasure from the happy sense that all mortifications were past, rendered their conversation much courted among that rank of people "'It occurred to me that their dislike to being seen by numbers "'must prevent their attendance on public worship. "'But my cousin informed me that was thus avoided. "'There was in the church an old gallery, "'which from disuse was grown out of repair. "'This the ladies caused to be mended, "'and the front of it so heightened "'that these little folk, when in it, could not be seen. "'The tall ones contrived by stooping when they were there "'not to appear of any extraordinary height.' to this they were conveyed in the ladies coach and set down close to covered stairs which led up to the gallery this subject employed our conversation till we approached the hall the ladies then after insisting that we should not think of going from thence that day all left us except mrs maynard it may seem strange that i was not sorry for their departure but in truth i was so filled with astonishment at characters so new and so curious to know by what steps women thus qualified both by nature and fortune to have the world almost at command were brought thus to seclude themselves from it and make as it were a new one for themselves constituted on such very different principles from that i had hitherto lived in that i longed to be alone with my cousin in hopes i might from her receive some account of this wonder i soon made my curiosity known and beseeched her to gratify it i see no good reason said she why i should not comply with your request as my friends are above wishing to conceal any part of their lives though themselves are never the subject of their own conversation if they have had any follies they do not desire to hide them they have not pride enough to be hurt with candid criticisms and have too much innocence to fear any very severe censure "'But as we did not all reach this paradise at the same time, "'I shall begin with the first inhabitants of, "'and indeed the founders of this society, "'Miss Mansell and Mrs. Morgan, "'who from their childhood have been so connected "'that I could not, if I would, disunite them in my relation, "'and it would be almost a sin to endeavour to separate them, "'even in idea. "'We sat down in an arbour, "'whose shade invited us to seek there a defence against the sun.' which was then in its meridian and shone with uncommon heat the woodbines the roses the jessamines, the pinks and above all the mignonette with which it was surrounded made the air one general perfume every breeze came loaded with fragrance stealing and giving odour a rivulet ran bubbling by the side of the arbor whose gentle murmurs soothed the mind into composure and seemed to hush us to attention when Mrs. Maynard thus began to show her readiness to comply with my request, End of Section Two.